the most sensational claim of Christianity is that you can change. You can change. You don't have to be stuck in the same old ways. You can actually grow and improve and, and be transformed. You can change. Let's call him Joe. Joe typifies what happens to many of us. Joe became a Christian five years ago, and when he first became a Christian, he was on fire for the Lord. He was getting up early, reading his Bible every morning. He was spending time in prayer. He was going to all the church services and involved in some of the ministries. He was sharing his faith with uh, his, his unbelieving friends. He was on fire for the Lord. And that, was, that started off like five years ago. But then but into the third and into the fourth year, he started to lose his fire, started to lose his zeal for the Lord. And, and he started struggling with some things. And some old habits started kind of creeping back in. And he started feeling guilty about certain things. Like he wasn't, do you hear something back there? Well, would one of the ushers go back there and tell them to, are they having a party for Jeff maybe back there right now? That's what they're doing. So, uh, and so he, he started feeling guilty about things that were uh, going on in his life. And he, so he started skipping church. He started not reading his Bible as often. And, and and, and he just started to kind of fall away from his love for the Lord. Now, if, if Joe was your friend, what would you tell him? What, what would you say to Joe? How could he really get the fire back? How could, he, how could he get on fire for the Lord again? We'll come back to that, and we'll answer that near the end of the message today. But I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Because here in Galatians chapter 5, we find the answer to Joe's dilemma and to oftentimes your dilemma and my dilemma. Because what the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5 is how to change. How to change. And it's really a sensational claim when you think about it. You don't have to stay as you are. Galatians 5, let's pick it up in verse 16. So I say... Paul says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. The Apostle Paul makes several sensational claims here. And really, when you think about it, probably several of the most sensational claims of, of Christianity are these. There is a God who created this universe. And this, this God who created us can come and live inside of us. And this God who created us and can live inside of us can change us. We can change. We do not have to stay the same. You can experience his love in your life. You don't have to be dominated by the sinful nature and all the things that he lists here, but you can be led by the Spirit and you can have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the rest of it. You can have this kind of, these emotions and these kinds of attitudes in your life. And now notice also that the Apostle Paul is very honest about this. He says, he's saying here that you can change that change is possible, but he's also saying change is hard. Let's not overlook this fact. He's saying change is hard. Now, notice what he says in verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. By the way, I'm reading in the NLT, the New Living Translation. Normally, I read from the NIV the New International Version, but I told you last Sunday, we're going to read this passage repeatedly this fall, and I want to read it in different translations so that we just get different flavor because oftentimes we stop hearing it when we just read it in the same translation all the time. So it, Galatians 5.17, the New Living Translation, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So notice, there's this struggle here. Paul is saying, change, you can change, but change is hard. Change is possible, but change is hard. Do you ever feel stuck like this? Do you, do you ever feel like, my goodness, why can't I change? And he even says, so, so that you're not free. You are not free to carry out your good intentions. Do you ever feel like that? Where you, my goodness, I have these good intentions. I want to do this. I want to achieve this. I want to change. And you find, wow, it is so hard to change. For example, the main fruit of the Spirit, he says here, is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And think about this. The whole world, everybody wants love, right? I just want somebody to love me. I want somebody to care for me and accept me. And I want to love other people. I want to love somebody else too. All the songs are written about love. Someday I'm going to find this one true love. Every couple comes down the aisle at their wedding. And they're so in love. And they think out of all history, they are the exception. That their love is true and their love is pure and their love will last forever. And they're just going to live on love forever. 
And then a few years later, oh my, they realize how hard it really is. How many times have you said, I'm going to be more loving? I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to love, I'm going to give, I'm going to care. So you roll up your sleeves and you wind up your will and you try to love. And it's not long before you lash out at your spouse all over again. You're right back to where you started. Why? Why is it so hard to love? Paul tells us right here, the sinful nature and the spirit are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Everybody in this world has a sinful nature. And even those of us who follow Jesus and are filled with his spirit, we now have the spirit, but we still have our sinful nature, and they are at war with each other. You and I need to understand that you and I and every person has a sinful nature. It's this distortion. It's this bent. We're created in the image of God. And yes, we were created originally good and perfect, but, but sin has entered the world and sin has entered you and me. And we have this sinful nature, this self-centeredness about us. And this is why it is so hard to change. Now, I know this is not what you will hear in typical conversations in universities and in, on television shows, on popular talk shows. Uh, the typical malarkey that you will hear today goes like this. You know, you are really a good person. You are so full of love and natural goodness. It, it's society. It's, it's your parents. It's your neighbors. It's your boss. It's, it's their fault. It, they're to blame. And listen, there's some truth to that. Many times we have gone into the prisons and, and ministered and shared the gospel with, with these inmates. And I don't know how many times I have looked at some of these young men in their early 20s. And there they are in jail. And, and I have a conversation with them. And, and I just love these young guys. And, and I think, my goodness, if I grew up in their neighborhood, if I grew up in their circumstances, with all the pressures they've had on them, I might be in jail today too. So there's, there's definitely some truth to that. Community matters. Environment matters. But what you'll hardly hear anywhere else except in the Bible is the hard truth that every single one of us has a sinful nature. And we are perfectly capable of messing things up all by ourselves. We don't need somebody else to mess things up for us. We, we're pretty good at messing things up all by ourselves. And so the place to start is with ourselves. We can't control everything else, but we can start here. Change has to start here. The Apostle Paul mentions four ways to change. Today we're talking about how to change. And, and he's, he's talking about the, the wonderful truth, the sensational claim that you can change. And he gives us four keys to change. Let, let's highlight them briefly this morning. First of all, he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. He says in verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. 
Again, this is a sensational claim when you think about it. The Bible says that there is a God who created this universe. He can come and live inside of you. The Spirit of God can come inside of you and change you. He can fill you with His fruit, with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are you filled with the Spirit? Have you asked the Holy Spirit? I think many people are Christians in the sense that they've looked to Jesus and asked for forgiveness of sins and they believe in Jesus and believe in God, but they've never really asked the Holy Spirit to come in to your life and guide you. The Bible gives three warnings when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Actually four, but we're, I'm only going to mention three of them right here. In 1 Thessalonians, for example, 5.19, it says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you some fire, some light, some warmth. He wants to fire you up and give you love and passion for Christ. And the scriptures warn us not to put out that Spirit's fire. Some translations say, don't quench the Spirit. You know, if you've been camping and at the end of your time there, you know, what do you do? You pour some water on that campfire. You, you, you put out that fire. You quench that fire. And, and he's saying, don't, don't throw water on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's trying to, to stir you and fire you up. Don't, don't throw water on that. And then in Acts 7.51, when Stephen gave his great speech that upset so many of his unbelieving Jewish friends that they stoned him to death. He said, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So notice, we can quench the Spirit. We can resist the Spirit. The Holy Spirit whispers to you, hey, God is real. Jesus is true. You need to receive him, open up to him, but, but you're afraid and you resist. Or the spirit convicts you and says, hey, you know what you're doing is wrong. You know that you're being proud and stubborn right now. You need to stop this. And, and you say, no, and you resist. Or the spirit says, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to do this. I'm calling you to serve here. I'm calling you to give here. I'm calling you, and, and you clench your fists and you say, no. You resist the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit, put out his fire. You can, you can resist the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. You can bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Some versions say don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So notice you can quench the Spirit. You can resist the Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit when you allow bitterness and anger to dominate you. You can bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit when you willfully disobey Jesus, when you're selfish, when you're ungenerous, when you're not using your gifts to serve, and you make the Holy Spirit sad. 
You, you grieve him. I tell you, if you want to experience deep change, where you experience God, and you experience the fruit of the Spirit, you've got to admit that you have this sinful nature in you that struggles with the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life. And you need to cry out to the Holy Spirit to have his way. Let him guide you. Because that is where the fruit is. That is where the love is. Which leads us to the second key to real life change. It's to realize the results of following your sinful nature. This is so practical and so simple when you think about it. But this is just about thinking about the consequences. What are the results? If I really follow the d desires and drives of my sinful nature, where is it going to take me? He, notice what he says beginning in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. These, uh, let, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, so just pick any one of these. Maybe, maybe for you it's lustful pleasures. You've been messing around with pornography, and it gives you a kick. It brings you certain pleasure. But what's the result? If you keep going down this path, where is it going to get you? Or maybe for you it's quarreling. You just have to set everybody straight. You always have to be right. You have to have the last word. Well, just look at the results. How's it working for you? Where's it getting you? Or maybe for you it's envy. You spend so much of your energy being jealous of other people. Being, and what does it do? It leads you to gossip. It leads you to bitterness, all kinds of negativity. Just look at the results. Where, where is this getting you by you following your sinful nature? Some of you need to look at your life. What you're currently doing is not working. And if you keep on doing what you're doing, you're going to keep on getting what you're getting. And do you really want the next five years to be like the last five years? Following your sinful nature is not the road to success. So you know what you need to say is, you, you, you need to say, you know what? I am not going to follow my sinful nature anymore. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit guide my life. The Apostle Paul says over in Romans 8 verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh, the sinful nature, is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You have your mind set on something. What, what is your mindset? Everybody has a mindset. They have their mind set on something. And, and Paul says here, if you have your mind set on the sinful nature, it's going to lead you to death. But if you have the mindset on the spirit, it's going to lead you to life and peace. So what's your mindset? See, you need to realize you need to kill your sinful nature or your sinful nature is going to kill you. That's just a fact, and that's how it is. If you just keep following the desires of your sinful nature and doing whatever your desires and drives and selfish ambitions dictate, you keep following that, it's going to kill you. It'll wreck, it'll ruin your life. You need to see that. 
realize that, which leads to the third way to experience change. And this is the crucial one. I want you to really get this one this morning. We need to nail our sinful natures to the cross. Nail our sinful natures to the cross. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I tell you, this is a powerful spiritual truth. If you want to grow, if you want to change, if you want to experience God and his fruit in your life, you've got to get this now. The real key to life change is you've got to learn how to nail your sinful nature to the cross. The New Testament is full of verses like this one. Here's how this works. There are two biblical words that are used with this idea of, of nailing our, you know, crucifying the flesh, crucifying our sinful nature, nailing it to the cross. It, it, these two words are faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Everybody say faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. You need to Every day, make this a daily habit where where you are living a cross-centered, Christ-centered life, and you are looking to the cross with faith and repentance. So I, I look to the cross with faith. Faith says, when I look to the cross, faith says, because of the cross, I am a child of God. Because of the cross, Jesus, I see there on the cross, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And now by faith, I realize I trust in him and what he's done for me. I am a child of God. I am adopted into his family. I am loved. I am accepted. I am free in Christ. And so when I look to the cross with this kind of faith, it brings me hope. It brings me freedom. It changes my identity because now my most fundamental identity is I am a child of God. So I look to the cross in faith, but I also look to the cross in repentance. And repentance says, because of the cross, I see how ugly sin is. Sin is so horrible that Jesus had to die for it. And my sin is so bad that Jesus had to die on the cross for my sin. And so I see how ugly sin really is. And so when, how, how ugly lust and, and ego and selfish ambition result in, in the breakdown of life. So I look to the cross with, with faith and repentance. And so you know what? Every time my sinful nature rises up, oh, and it will, and it does, when my sinful nature rises up, I am going to nail it to the cross. So whenever lust starts to rise up, and lust not just in the sense of sexual immorality, but lust in the sense of just desires, where I just have to have something, I have to do something, I have to get my way, and I'm being driven by, by my emotions and these desires, I take out my spiritual hammer of faith and repentance, and I take that lust, I take those drives, and I nail them to the cross. My selfish ambition starts to rise up within me. I want to succeed at work. Do you know why? Is it because, do I want to really succeed at work because I love people, and I want to help people, and I want to serve people? Not really. I want to succeed at work because I want to look good. I want to impress people. I want to feel important. 
Because if I can succeed at work, people are going to look at me and think I am somebody. And I want to prove to the world that I am somebody. And yes, I want more money. I want a bigger house. I want more cars, nicer cars. And, 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 and see, it's my selfish ambition. And so what do I do? When, and we all have this. We all have this. And it comes up every now and then. When, when my sinful nature rises up within me and this selfish ambition starts to grip me and I have this desire and the Holy Spirit says, hey, hey, hold on here. What do I do? By faith, I take up my spiritual hammer, faith and repentance. I look to the cross and I take that selfish ambition and I nail it to the cross. This is what it means to crucify the flesh. This is what it means to, to nail your sinful nature to the cross. You see, faith has to do with your identity. How much of the way you view yourself is shaped by the cross? Is your identity, the way you view yourself, how much of it is shaped by Jesus and what he did for you on the cross? Are you living a cross-centered life? When you awaken each morning, what determines your identity? What determines how you feel about yourself and how you feel about life? Is your identity grounded in what you do and what's happening on that particular day? Or is it grounded on certain skills you possess? Well, I am a businesswoman or I am a pastor or I am a parent. Maybe you define yourself in light of a past event. I am a survivor of sexual abuse. I am an alcoholic. I am a person who grew up in a dysfunctional family. Or maybe you define yourself in light of a current struggle. I am depressed. I am bipolar. I am an angry person. Listen now, I'm not trying to minimize any of these things, but what I'm saying is our most fundamental identity is in Christ. I am a child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in his firm and unshakable kingdom, and the kingdom of God is never in trouble. Amen? Those of you who've been around a while, remember that. We all memorized that a couple years ago. I am a child of God. That is my fundamental identity. So I, I look to the cross, and faith tells me when I look to the cross, in faith, I realize I'm a new creation in Christ who happens to be a businesswoman, who happens to be a pastor or a parent. You see, Jesus defines me, not my particular calling or job or whatever it is I'm about that day. I am a Christian. I am a new creation in Christ who has been hurt by someone in my past who struggles with depression, who struggles with anger. You see, my fundamental identity is in the cross of Christ, and it supersedes whatever else I'm struggling with. If you want real change, live a cross-centered life. Paul did. You know, we're looking at Galatians 5 here, the fruit of the Spirit, and living by the Spirit, experiencing God, and Paul says a few chapters earlier in Galatians 2.20, hopefully you've been reading through the whole letter to the Galatians. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. 
and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You live a Christ-centered, cross-centered, spirit-filled life. This is how change happens. Let's go back to Joe. Remember Joe? What would you tell Joe? Well, I would tell Joe, based on Galatians 5, I would say something like, Joe, I love you, brother. And I feel for your struggles because I'm there too. You know, we all have these sinful natures and we all struggle with things. But Joe, I think your real problem is you've lost sight of the cross. What you need is more than just Bible study and prayer and a lot of church busyness. Those, you need to remember why we do those things. Why do you read the Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you attend church? Why, why, why do you have Christian friends and get together in these life groups and all this? It's so that we can encourage each other so that we can see the cross more clearly. And to keep reminding ourselves to live cross-centered, Christ-centered, spirit-filled lives. Could it be, Joe, that your problem really started long before you missed your first Bible study or skipped your first worship service? Could it be that you have not been living a cross-centered, Christ-centered, spirit-filled life? Could it be, Joe, that you're basing your identity on how well you checked off those spiritual boxes? And so when you kind of missed a few here and there, you started to feel guilty. Could it be that you know, when you sinned and you were kind of shocked at how your sinful nature came up and you thought that you, you wouldn't have to deal with some of those struggles anymore and you had a few failures and a few sins, you thought it was all about you just trying to impress God and impress others and even impress yourself. And, and instead of opening up and sharing with others and being honest about that, you, you pushed people away. And you just kept feeling more guilty and more guilty. You see, Joe, you need to look to the cross with faith and understand who you are in Christ. You need to look to the cross with repentance and nail your sinful nature to the cross. That way you'll experience God again. You'll experience his fruit. You see, there's no way you can be playing around with the sinful nature and experiencing the fruit of the Spirit at the same time. I would also tell Joe, and this is number four, open up more to others and to God. This is the fourth thing, fourth way to change. Open up more to others and to God. I would say, Joe, the good news is you don't have to do this all by yourself. Change is a community project. We change best when we're in relationships, open and honest and humble and accountable relationships. We really do need each other. This is not you about you just pulling up your sleeves and trying, trying a little harder. No. This is about you opening up to other people and being honest about your struggles and your sinful nature. And we all have our struggles. And, and open to the Spirit and open to God. Galatians says, beginning in verse 13, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. 
For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. See, this whole conversation about how to change and the Holy Spirit and experiencing God and the fruit of the Spirit, it's all in the context of community. He's talking about loving each other. This is how we get along with each other. Remember Hebrews 3.13? We studied the book of Hebrews all summer long. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You and I need to do a much better job of encouraging each other, of thinking more about each other, and reaching out to each other, making that phone call. Hey, how you doing? Missed you lately. And in our life groups, opening up and just encouraging each other because you see, he says that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin and the sinful nature is so deceitful. And it is so easy over time and over the years to not look to the cross with faith and repentance. To stop living a cross-centered life. And then I start following more and more the desires of my sinful nature. And not opening up to you and not letting you in or knowing what's going on. And I become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, when you stay alone, it's so much easier to fall and not get back up. Would you bow your heads with me? This is a sensational claim. The most radical claim, really, that you can think of is that you and I can change. We don't have to stay as we are. Change is possible, but change is hard. And it will always be hard. I remember thinking, oh, man, as a young man, oh, when, when I'm older, after I have a few decades under me, this is going to be so easy. No, it's not. <laughs> we, we still have a sinful nature all of our lives. And we need the Holy Spirit, and we need to focus on the cross every bit as much today as we did 30 years ago. What steps do you need to take today? Maybe you need to invite the Holy Spirit into your life in a fresh and powerful way. Maybe you've been grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, resisting the Spirit. And you need to apologize to the Holy Spirit. Say, forgive me. I invite you back in my heart and life. Maybe you need to boldly face the fact that you've been allowing your sinful nature to do all of its ugly work in your life. And you're filled with anger, jealousy, selfish ambition, rage, division, hostility. You can, you can change. You don't have to stay like that. And my hope is, is that we will all open up more to each other. And as we kick off this series and, and all of our life groups start meeting in homes around town this week, that we would open up to each other and talk about these things in a humble and transparent way. We ask this, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
hey, at this time, uh, I would like uh, Pastor Jeff and Selena and his family to come on up here. And uh, we're going to be taking a, an offering also if our ushers would come. And uh, we're going to take a special uh, offering for uh, draw. And uh, I know we have Greg Martin here, uh, I believe, in the service. And uh, he just got back from uh, the Carolinas, you know, Hurricane Florence uh, coming up the coast and uh, uh, just doing so much devastation. And uh, we support Greg and Draw. And uh, he's going to be taking some teams down and ministering to people who've lost their homes, their homes have been flooded or blown away, whatever, and uh, giving them some uh, immediate uh, assistance to get them through. Uh, their crisis and their tragedy. So our ushers are going to come right now. We're going to take a special offering for that. I encourage you to give uh, whatever you can, and uh, and we'll be sure to pass that along to draw. If you need to write a check, go ahead and write it out to Clarkson Community Church, and in the memo line, put uh, the, the name draw, and we'll be sure to pass it along. Uh, so ushers, uh, would you go ahead and begin taking the offering? And uh, I just realized I left my phone on, and I'm getting a bunch of texts right now. I don't know who who it's from, but uh, oh, it's from so and so. No, <laughs> um, Pastor Jeff. Uh, most of you know it's Pastor Jeff's uh, last Sunday with us, and uh, we're gonna have after the second service. Actually, we're gonna be having uh, some some refreshments, cake, I believe, and and uh, encourage you. I know this is first service, but maybe uh, you could even say your goodbyes to him here in a, in a few minutes, or uh, even come back after second service. And, uh, and, and and say your goodbyes to them. But uh, Pastor Jeff and Selena and uh, all, all these, aren't these kids just so awesome? Aren't they amazing? Gibson and Ashton and Riley and Lincoln. Lincoln, can you give me five down here, buddy? All righty. We love you guys. We love you guys. And it's just been such a thrill to see you guys grow up in our congregation. And now that your dad's going to be campus pastor, at Northridge Church in Brighton. We're excited uh, for you guys, and we're sad for us. Uh, that, uh, that, uh, but Brighton's not too far, so, so we'll get together once in a while. We love you guys. I'm proud of you. We'll be praying for you. And so um, uh, would you just bow your heads with me, and uh, let, let's have a special prayer over this beautiful family. Heavenly Father, uh, we just lift up Jeff and Selena and their beautiful family to you. Lord, we know that you've placed this call on Jeff's life uh, to call him to be campus pastor. And uh, just uh, ask that you would give him strength and grace and wisdom as he responds to your call. And Lord, I pray for Selena and the family. Lord, I know it's, a, it's an exciting change and it's the right thing, but it's also a, a time of loss and a time of grieving because really they've, they've, the kids have just kind of grown up here and have so many friends and uh, Jeff and Selena have, are just such a deep part of our community here. And uh, uh, just to the, the loss of that, Lord, we, we just offer up our, our, our sadness in that sense to you and ask that you would help us as we uh, just process all of this. And Lord, we pray uh, that you, we know that you're going to bless us and guide us uh, to whoever the next uh, worship arts pastor may be. And we know that you're going to bless Brighton, Lord, with the coming of Jeff and Selena and their beautiful family. Lord, uh, we thank you that uh, even though we'll be in different congregations, we are, uh, we are still in the same kingdom. And we're still in the, in the, the same world uh, uh, 
just the, the church of God or in your church, no matter what congregation we might be a part of. And we thank you for that, Lord. Uh, just bless them, strengthen them, and guide them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Love you guys. Okay. Hey, let's hear it for Good. Good. All right, man. Okay. Um, if uh, anybody wants to come up uh, for prayer uh, or just a conversation, I'll be hanging around up here. So otherwise, have a great day, everybody. Ashamed of what I've done, what I've become. The most sensational claim of Christianity is that you can change. You can change. You don't have to stay the way you are. You can grow. You can improve. You can change. Let, let's take Joe as an example. Uh, just fictional made-up name here. It kind of typifies the experience that many of us have. Joe became a Christian five years ago. And when he first became a believer, he was on fire for the Lord. He, he'd get up early every morning, read his Bible for half an hour, spend time in prayer. He went to church all the time. He, he had uh, his Christian friends and close Christian fellowship. He would share his faith with people, unbelieving friends. But then about two years ago, Joe started uh, feeling guilty because he he was wrestling with some things and struggling with some things. He uh, went, started to be dominated by some of his old bad habits. Uh, he started overeating again and even ordering things on the online, you know, on the Internet shopping thing and things that he didn't really need, but he was doing it for a pickup and doing some other things. He started feeling guilty about these things, and he, he stopped reading his Bible that much, and he his prayer time became kind of, flat and he even started skipping church more frequently and started keeping his friends at a at a distance and he was just kind of losing his fire for Christ now if joe were your friend what would you tell him what would you tell joe that he really needs to do to to really get close to to god again and to to change and to to overcome some of these things that he's He's struggling with. What would you tell Joe? We'll come back to that and, and we'll kind of give a, an answer to that near the end of the message. But right now, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Because in this passage that we're looking at for, for the next number of weeks is how we can change. How we don't have to get stuck in those ruts or kind of fall away from God. How, 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 can, we, how can we change? How can we grow and stay close and on, on fire for God? If he, uh, Galatians chapter 5, let's, let's pick it up in verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. 
sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. The Apostle Paul makes several sensational claims here. He says there is a God who created this whole universe. He can live inside of you and he can change you. You can change. You don't have to be dominated by your sinful nature and all these drives and desires and emotions. You can actually follow the leading of the Spirit and have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. You can change and you can experience God. You can experience the fruit of His presence in your life. But Paul is also very honest. He, he, he says, change is possible but it is hard. Change is possible, but it's hard. This isn't easy. Notice what he says in verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. He's saying here that change is possible, but it's hard. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel stuck? Like, like you're not free? He says these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So you try to change. You go, I'm going to change. I'm going to improve. I'm going to get better. And you find it so hard. For, for example, it starts off by saying the fruit of the Spirit is love. So you say, I'm going to be more loving. And when you think about it, the whole world is about change, right? We're going to change the world. We're going to make this a better place. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to movements arise. We're going to change this. And we're going to create a better society. And, and people say, uh, you know, I'm going to change. And, and, and everybody wants love. I just want somebody to love me. I want somebody to accept me. I want someone to affirm me, and I want someone to love. And, and so you know what? Well, you know, why can't we just love each other? Why can't everybody in the whole world, why can't we just say, we're going to love each other, problem solved, going to be a great world, right? Let's just love each other. So you say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be more loving. I'm going to treat my spouse better. I'm, gonna, I'm going to love. I'm going to serve and give and care. So you roll up your sleeves, and you wind up your will, and you're going to love. And then it's not long before you wear down and you lash out at your spouse and you're right back to where you started. 
everybody wants love. Everybody wants to give love. And it's just so hard to change. Every couple that has ever come down an aisle and they get married, they think they are unique. They think they are, they have this special love. Everybody, nobody else understands, but we have this special love. We are so in love, we're going to live on love forever. And we're, we're going to love each other forever till death do us part. And then, oh my, just a few short years later, they find out how hard. Why? Why is it so hard to just love each other? Why is it so hard to just change? Paul tells us right here in Galatians 5, the sinful nature and the spirit are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You and I and everybody in this whole world have sinful natures. We have a bent. We have a distortion. We have a brokenness. We have a self-centeredness about us that makes it hard to change. Now, I know this is not what you will hear in universities and, and popular talk shows today. The typical malarkey that you will hear today in, in society in general is something like this. You are such a good person. Oh, you are so full of love and natural goodness. You know what? It's society. It's your parents. It's your neighbors. It's your boss. It's their fault. They, you know, they're to blame. That's why you have these issues and these problems and everything. And now listen, there's some truth to that. Oftentimes I've been in, into prisons with our Bill Glass Prison Ministry, and I go visit uh, these young guys, and I, and I talk with them and share the gospel with them. And I look at many of these young men, and, and I think, oh, my goodness, how sad. If I grew up where they grew up and the way they grew up in their environment, in their community, and with all the influences, I might be in jail today too. So there is some truth there because community does matter. Our environment does matter. But what you won't hear hardly anywhere else except in the Bible is the hard truth that you and I, although we're made in the image of God and we're originally created good and beautiful and wonderful and whole, we, we are now broken because of sin. And there's a distortion and a bent. And the Bible calls this the flesh. It calls it the, the sinful nature. And we are perfectly capable of messing everything up all by ourselves. We don't even need anybody else to mess things up because I can mess it up all by myself. Thank you. And, and this is a hard truth. But it's true. And so the place to begin is with ourselves. We might not be able to control everything else, but we can start here. The Apostle Paul mentions in Galatians 5 here four ways to change. Do you really want life change where, where you can get out of some of these ruts and get out of some of these problems and some of these things that they just keep dragging you down and where you can really change? Here are four key ways how to change. Paul says, first of all, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Notice what he says in verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. This is a sensational claim. The Bible says that the God of the universe can come and live inside of you 
and change you from the inside out. You can be filled with the Spirit. You can walk in the Spirit. You can be led by the Spirit if you let Him guide your life. Have you asked the Holy Spirit to come into your life? See, the Holy Spirit's involved in our lives all along. It's the Holy Spirit who initially makes us aware of God, makes us aware of our sin, leads us to faith and repentance and to receive Christ in the first place. But once we become a believer and and believe in Jesus, then we need to, to ask to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And we need to make a point to, to walk and follow and be have a growing awareness of the presence of God. This is how we experience God, is by inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives. Have you done that? And do you do that almost on a daily basis where you say, Holy Spirit, guide me today. I want to follow you today. I want to walk in your steps today. The Bible gives us three warnings when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Actually, four, but I'm going to just mention three of them here. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Some translations say, don't quench the Spirit. You know, when you have a bonfire or a camping, and you have this nice little fire going. And when you're ready to leave, you, you need you, know, you pour water on it, you, you quench it, you put out that fire before you go. And, and, and it's a similar Greek verb used here saying, don't put out that Spirit's fire. See, the Holy Spirit wants to fire you up and give you passion and heat and light and, and warmth for Christ and for the kingdom. But you and I can put out that Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Spirit. And then over in Acts 7, 51, when Stephen gave his great speech to his fellow Jewish people who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, he told them, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So you can quench the Spirit. You can put out the Spirit's fire, but you can also resist the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit whispers to you, hey, there is a God. He is real. Jesus is true. Receive Jesus into your life. Repent, turn, accept him into your life. And you go, no, you resist the Spirit. Or or the Holy Spirit says, what you are doing is wrong. And the Holy Spirit works through our conscience and says, this is wrong. You know it's wrong. Don't do this. And you resist the Holy Spirit. You say, no. Or the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something, calling you to serve, calling you to give. I want you to serve this way. I want you to give here. And you kind of clench your fists and say, no. You resist the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit, resist the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, you can can also grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Some translations say do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. You can bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit when you allow bitterness and anger to dominate you. We can bring holy, we can bring sorrow to the Spirit when we when we willfully disobey Christ. When we allow bitterness and selfishness 
to overtake us. When we, when we just say, no, I'm not going to serve. I'm, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to do this, what you're telling me to do. I tell you, if you want to experience deep change where you experience God and the fruit of the Spirit, you've got to let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Are you? Are you letting the Holy Spirit guide your life? Or could the Holy Spirit completely leave your normal daily life and you wouldn't even know it? Because you're just doing it all yourself. You're walking in the flesh, really, and not in the Spirit. If you want real change to come, be open to the Spirit. Invite Him in and follow Him. Secondly, Paul highlights, he says, you need to realize the results of following your sinful nature. This is so practical and so obvious when you think about it. If you want to bring real change to your life, one of the keys is just realize the results of following your sinful nature. I mean, you can look in all the stories of Scripture, in so many stories of history, and so many stories. Just look around your life today, and you'll have plenty of illustrations of what happens to people who keep following their sinful nature. He says in verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So pick any one of these. Maybe for you it's lustful pleasures. And you've been messing around with pornography. And it brings you a certain pleasure and a certain kick. But what's the result? By following this sinful nature, where's it going to take you? Or maybe for you it's quarreling. You just have to set everybody straight. You always have to be right. You have to have the last word. Let me ask you, how's it working for you? Where's it getting you? Or maybe for you it's envy. You spend so much of your energy being jealous of other people. And then your jealousy and your envy, it leads you to gossip and bitterness and negativity. Just look at the results. Where is it getting you? Some of you need to take an honest look at your life. What you are currently doing is not working. And if you keep on doing what you're doing, you're going to keep on getting what you're getting. Do you really want the next five years to look like the last five years? Following your sinful nature is not the road to success. So you need to get to the place where you say, you know what? I realize that I have a sinful nature. Everybody has a sinful nature. And I'm in this war, this battle between the Holy Spirit in my life, wanting me to do, go this way and my sinful nature. And you know what? I'm not going to follow my sinful nature anymore. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit guide my life. The Apostle Paul says over in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh, the sinful nature, is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So I ask you, what is your mindset? Everybody has a mindset. Where you just, this is who I am, this is how I see the world, this is what I want, these are my values. Everybody has a mindset. And if you have your mind set on the sinful nature and just fulfilling your drives and desires and selfish ambitions and, and just all your stuff, 
it, the result is death. And some of you have been experiencing that kind of death already in your life where you're just ruining and wrecking, wrecking and killing everything in your life because your mind's set on that stuff. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. What's your mindset on? See, eventually, you've got to learn how to kill your sinful nature, or your sinful nature will kill you. You've got to crucify the flesh, crucify the sinful nature, or it will crucify you. Which leads us to the third point, and this is the key one I want you to understand today. Number three, nail your sinful nature to the cross. Nail your sinful nature to the cross. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. This is the New Living Translation. I told you last Sunday we're going to use the New Living Translation for a little while, and then we'll switch back to the NIV, maybe go to the ESV, the English Standard Version, because sometimes it just it helps to, to see a passage from with different translations and different angles because sometimes we get feeling like we know this so well, and then you read it in a different translation, and you go, oh, I never looked at it this way before. So the New Living Translation says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. This is powerful. This is life-changing right here. If you want to grow closer to God, if you want to experience God, if you want to really experience life change, you have to get this. The key to real life change is that you have to get to the place where on a daily basis, you are nailing your sinful nature to the cross. The New Testament is full of verses like this one. And here's, here's how the whole concept works. There are two biblical words that, that deal with this nailing your, your flesh, nailing your sinful nature to the cross, crucifying the flesh. And the two words are faith and repentance. Everybody say faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. These are two key concepts. We need to look to the cross with faith and repentance. So when I look to the cross with faith and repentance, when I look to the cross with faith, faith says, because of the cross, I am a child of God. I look to, to the cross. I see Jesus on the cross, how he died for me, how much he loves me, how he died for my sins. And so when I look to the cross in, in, with faith, I understand I am now a forgiven child of God. I am adopted into his family. I, I have a wonderful inheritance. I am in his heir. I'm adopted into his family. I have a new identity. I am his child. And so I am loved. I am accepted. This is what I see when I look to the cross through faith. But then I also look to the cross with repentance. And repentance tells me as I look at the cross how ugly sin is. Because sin is so ugly, Jesus had to die for it. My sin is so ugly. Jesus had to die for my sin. And so I look to the cross with faith, and it gives me hope and confidence. And I know my identity in Christ. I'm loved. I'm his, his adopted child. I'm free. I'm forgiven. But as I look with repentance, 
I see how ugly my sin is and, and how I need to constantly repent and turn from my sin and how my lust and hostility and anger and selfish ambition always result in breakdown, always result in breakdown of life. And so, you know, what happens is every time my sinful nature rises up, and oh, it will, and, 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 and it, it will. And so when, what happens is when my sinful nature rises up, what am I going to do? I'm going to nail it to the cross. So lust starts to rise up within me. Lust, not only in the sexual sense, but, but just in drives and ambitions and, and, and goals and, and, and just a mindset that might be contrary to Christ. And so what, what am I going to do? I'm going to take my lust and, and realize that I have this sinful nature and it's rising up now. I'm going to take my lust. I'm going to look to the cross with faith and repentance. And, and faith says, I'm a child of God. I can be freed from this. I don't have to stay this way. And, and repentance says, this, this lust is so ugly and it's going to result in such a breakdown of my life. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this hammer, this hammer called faith and repentance, and I'm going to take my lust and I'm going to nail it to the cross. This is what it means to crucify the flesh. This is what it means to put to death, to kill your sinful nature. Nail it to the cross. And then I have this selfish ambition that starts to rise up from my sinful nature. And, I, and so, I, for example, I really want to succeed at work. Now, why do I want to succeed so badly at work? Is it because I really just love people and want to serve and make the world and make our community a better place? Not really. I, I, I am so ambitious to succeed at work because I really am basing my identity in my own achievements and in what I can do. And I want to succeed at work because I want to show everybody how good I am. And how important I am. And so I want to succeed at work because I want to impress people. And I even want to impress God. And I even want to impress myself. Because I'm basing my worth and basing my identity on what I can do. And how I can succeed. You see? And so I, even, I want more money. I want a bigger house. I want better cars. And I want more than other people so that I can show the world that I am good. And I am important. And so what do I do when that selfish ambition rises up within me? And by the Holy Spirit, I have this awareness and this humility. And as I look to the cross with faith, it gives me hope and it gives me confidence that I am his child. I'm accepted. I, and my, my identity is rooted in Christ and the cross rather than... And all that. So I take up this, this sinful nature that, and this selfish ambition that's starting to rise up within me. And I take out that hammer of faith and repentance and I nail that selfish ambition to the cross. And we have to do that repeatedly. I dare say every day in one way or another. Because the sinful nature in this life never goes away. It's always there. And just about the time you think you are that good and you are all that, oh, the sinful nature will come up. 
And you'll be reminded, I have a lot of ugliness in me. And any goodness that is in me is because of the cross, because of the Spirit, because of God's grace. So faith has to do with your identity. Right now I ask you, how much of the way you view yourself is shaped by what Jesus did for you on the cross? Are you living a cross-centered life? When you awaken each morning, what determines your identity? How you feel about yourself that day? How important, how valuable you are? What determines your identity? Is your identity grounded in what you do or certain skill sets that you possess? I am a businesswoman. I am a pastor. I am a, I am a parent. Or maybe you define yourself in light of a past event. I am a survivor of sexual abuse. I am an alcoholic. I am a person who grew up in a dysfunctional family. Maybe you define yourself in light of the current struggle. I am depressed. I am bipolar. I am an angry person. Now, I'm not trying to minimize these things. But but what I'm saying is your most fundamental identity is in Christ. You should be able to look to the cross. When you live a cross-centered, Christ-centered, spirit-filled life, you look to the cross through faith and repentance. And when you look to the cross, it tells you what your fundamental identity is, which is I am a child of God. I am loved. I am accepted. I am forgiven. I am free. I am a child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in his firm and unshakable kingdom. The kingdom of God is never in trouble. Sound familiar to anybody? If you've been around here long, you know a couple years ago, we we memorized that. I am a child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in his firm and unshakable kingdom. The kingdom of God is never in trouble. So that is my foundational identity. I am a new creation in Christ who happens to be a businesswoman, or a pastor, or a parent. You see, Jesus defines me, not my particular calling, or job, or role at the moment. I am a Christian. I am a child of God, adopted son, adopted daughter of God, who has been hurt by someone in my past, who struggles with depression, who struggles with anger. You see, My fundamental identity is in the cross of Christ, and it supersedes anything else, whatever other struggle I may be going through now. If you want real change, you've got to learn how to live this cross-centered life. The Apostle Paul knew how. You know, we're unpacking Galatians 5. Just over in Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see? So let's go back to Joe. Remember Joe? What would you tell Joe? Here's what I would tell Joe based on Galatians 5. I would say something like, Joe, I love you, brother. And I feel for you because I, I have similar struggles as you do because we all have this sinful nature. But Joe, I think your real problem is that you've lost sight of the cross. 
See, what you need to realize is, is that your Bible reading and your prayer and your Christian friends and your worship and going to church and all that, you, you need to realize, why do you do those things? You don't do those things just to check off boxes and say, okay, I've done these religious things. Now I'm a, a good person. Now God likes me. Now God will bless me. No, no, no. You need to realize that the reason we do these things is so that we can encourage each other and learn how to better look to the cross with faith and repentance. Joe, could it be that you have not really been spirit-led? and Could it be that you're not really focusing on the cross? Do you ever get up in the morning and, and start off your day by saying, Jesus, I focus on you, and I focus on the cross with faith and repentance, and I ask your Holy Spirit to guide me today? Joe, has your identity been more in your own success what you can do. And maybe, Joe, the reason you have been struggling and feeling guilty is because you've been just walking in the flesh and you've been trying to do these things yourself rather than realizing who you are in Christ and how he loves you. And that you, could it be that you have, as your sinful nature stirred up and, and after you got through that initial honeymoon stage of being a new believer in Christ and you were just so excited and you thought, man, there's going to be no more struggles because you're a child of God. And then all of a sudden your sinful nature wells up within you and you're shocked and you're surprised of the ugliness that can still be inside of you. And instead of taking that hammer of faith and repentance and nailing your sinful nature to the cross, you started toying with your sinful nature and finding gratification in your sinful nature. And Joe, I can tell you that you can't try to enjoy your sinful nature and experience the fruit of the Spirit at the same time. That's what I would tell Joe. Joe, you need to look at the cross again with repentance and faith. And then I would also tell Joe, and this is number four, number four, Open up more to others and to God. Joe, instead of keeping your Christian friends at arm's distance, instead of skipping church more frequently, what you need to do is get together more frequently. You need to worship and open up. Open up to others and, and admit your struggles to other people and to God. And Joe, the good news is you don't have to do this all by yourself. Change is a community project. This is why God designed the church. We need each other. We need to do this together. Notice again Galatians 5. He says in verse 13, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. You see, Jesus died for our sins. We're free. We're forgiven. His Holy Spirit fills us. And now we're free. No, we're not free to go fulfill our sinful nature. We're free to follow Christ. We're free to love. Now you can really start loving people as you keep nailing your sinful nature to the cross. Use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you were always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. And then over in Hebrews 3.13, remember we went through the book of Hebrews this summer. It says over there, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
You see, when you and I try to go solo, whenever we start retreating from our Christian friendships, we're not involved in any kind of group where we talk about spiritual things and talk about our lives, it is so easy to become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And I start rationalizing. And, and I start toying with the sinful nature. Change is a community project. Open up to others. Open up to God. Would you bow your heads with me? This is a sensational claim that you and I can change. It's possible. But it's hard. It, it, it will never be easy. I remember when I was a young man and a young pastor thinking, oh, man, 25, 30 years from now, I'm going to really have all this down. This can be easy. Let me tell you, it's not. You're stuck with your sinful nature your whole life. Only in heaven will you be freed from it. And you're going to have a sinful nature to deal with in one way or another. Maybe the, the specific kind of battle changes. You can Maybe you can defeat and have victory over a certain kind of sinful nature, but, but then there'll be another one that pops up. And maybe if, if he's been a Christian for a long time, maybe it's pride and it's independence because you know so much now. But you'll always have a sinful nature to deal with. What, what should your next step be this morning? Maybe what your next step is right now is you need to invite the Holy Spirit into your life to live in a fresh and powerful way. Are you being led by the Holy Spirit or are you grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, resisting the Spirit? Maybe you need to boldly face the fact that you've been allowing your sinful nature to do all of its ugly work in your life. You're filled with anger or jealousy or selfish ambition or sexual immorality. You can change. There's power available to you. And my hope is that we'll all open up more to each other and to God about these things. Those of us who are in life groups, and we'll be discussing this message in our own life groups in various homes around the community this week. Let's be more open and honest with our struggles. And more loving and caring and supportive with each other. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Help us to live cross-centered, spirit-led lives. Help us to look to the cross every day with faith and repentance. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us. We want to experience the fruit of the Spirit. Change us, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.